When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. This podcast is all that you get. Josh and Antonio might be it. But heaven knows they'll try. Ted Lasso podcast on Post Show Recaps. You better believe it. Welcome to our Ted Lasso Talk on Post Show Recaps. I'm Josh Wiggler. We're talking season two, episode eight of Apple TV Plus's Ted Lasso Man City. Okay, ACM. I don't know who you are, but I'm coming for your ASS. <laughs> do we really want to say ASS? Let's do butts. How about uh, butts on three? Okay. One, two, One, two three. three. Butts. butts. Uh, that was probably not perfectly synced, but the no. spirit of the synchronized butts shout is there. Yeah. Antonio, a.k.a. AC Mazzaro, a.k.a. ACM, what are you doing getting the high score on The Wizard of Oz? I'm a pinball freak. I'm a pinball wizard. Yeah. Uh, that's it. There, I, I, I had to, I mean, I did a double take. I watched these on Thursday nights after midnight, so it's late already. You thought you were tripping. Like, yeah. Yeah, that didn't, they didn't just say ACM. I ran yeah, it back did. and then I had the and captions I, on. Yeah. And I guess this is the point where, like, there are certainly people who have listened to you and I podcast about stuff along the way, but there may be people who are just listening to the Ted Lasso podcast and getting exposed to the Wiggler Mazzaro combo punch for the first time. But this is not the first time that a TV show you and I have done the deep dive podcast on has directly, clearly, obviously shouted you out, ACM. <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish, I wish. Uh, I wish there I could, is a, uh, a pivotal moment, a, a pivotal moment in HBO's The Leftovers in which Carrie Coon's Nora Durst says the word Antonio uh, at like a very key moment in the show. <laughs> and here we are with another key episode of a show that you and I podcast about. And it's like, all right, I get it. I'll show myself out. Antonio could just do the full show himself. It's totally fine. I'm happy to just like leave. If you want to just run this thing, please stay because I'm taking it as a sign that our dream of international beard sassin will happen next week. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> seems that, likely. that is something to to talk about uh, the deeper we go. Uh, next week's episode, Beard After Hours, is the name of that episode. And as you pointed out to me, <laughs> did you take a look at that thumbnail for episode nine? Very beard heavy. So. You know, it seems like every time I put something out there, the show's like, no, we're going to give you that thing you don't want. So let's see. <laughs> but I tend, to, I tend to like it. I tend to be happy when yeah. it happens. So I uh, hope to be proven wrong if we get a really beard heavy episode 
next week. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of just levity right out the gate. Obviously, this is a uh, a really big episode of the show. A lot is going on this week on Ted Lasso and Man City. Whether it is the solidification of the Sam and Rebecca relationship. Um, whether it is the confrontation with Jamie and his father or Roy and Jamie having sort of like this big epiphany moment in their uh, relationship together that certainly got me crying very hard on a Friday morning. I don't know that I fully appreciated that, Ted Lasso. Um, or obviously like the very big uh, the very big uh, reveal about Ted and his father and um, uh, why he's no longer around, something that you and I have uh, have talked about as a possibility in some of our conversations as well. A really big Sharon episode uh, as well. Dr. Fieldstone really getting some insight into that character. Just all in all, uh, Antonio, like a 40-ish, 45-minute episode runtime right on this one. It was yep. packed, packed to the gills. Uh, really no wasted time at all. No wasted time. And also very funny throughout. I thought lots of just funny like moments or scenes. I just, every character really got a little bit of a moment or something I think we can talk about. Uh, there wasn't, it wasn't super heavy one way or the other because I think we had the extra time. We got to fill in a lot of stuff with a lot of different characters. So I thought, uh, man, really a lot to talk about. Truly, Josh, we could go very long on this one and maybe not cover everything. But as you point out, it's been building to this. So it's a lot of what we have been talking about. It's a lot of, okay, what happens when it is Rebecca and Sam? Like, where are we going to end up? Like, we're starting to see where that plays out, you know, how that plays out. We see that also with the stuff with Ted, uh, definitely something, not just us, but I'm sure the world has been speculating about the, the signs are definitely there. We can go over some of them again if anyone would like, but truth be told, like, it, it doesn't seem like a, a huge reveal, but it feels like a huge moment for the character and one that this season definitely has been building to. And certainly, uh, that we, when we look back over the first season, uh, can put a lot of stuff involved in. So that feels like the big moment to me, even though in the course of the episode is one of many big moments, but it really does feel like the big takeaway from this episode for me. Yeah, no doubt. Is that where you want to start then? I mean, we could so many different headlines, like it's hard to know, like what right. is the headline of the episode? Certainly, it begins with uh, with Sharon and the uh, you know getting uh, the the sort of like meta therapy right and like getting insight into like what her daily life is like in the accident and how that leads to Sharon and and Ted being a little more vulnerable with each other. Um, that yes. is obviously a really huge deal. The episode ends with the Sam and Rebecca stuff, so I don't know. One of those two feels like probably the place to start. Choose your adventure, Antonio Mazzaro. It's uh, the, your high score that we're chasing after. The Ted feels the Ted and Doctor Sharon stuff feels the bigger one to me, only because so much of season one I think uh, is is really touched on with uh, where we see Ted uh, at this point. Now that we know this, it recontextualizes everything we know about some of this stuff in season one, uh, and I think it it therefore feels a little bigger over the course of the whole series. So for me, it's definitely the big takeaway, even though, like you're saying, and, and as I agree, like it is a big moment in, a, in an episode with a ton of them. Uh, it feels like the biggest moment. And as I said, it doesn't feel like a super big surprise, not like a jaw dropper. Uh, we talked a lot about the context of some of this, mainly like Ted's desire to never give up on anything, uh, even when he knows it's, it's not going well uh, in the case of his marriage. 
um, Ted's severe issues that he has with fathers and sons and being triggered by so many things that remind him of other things, uh, his issues probably feeling like he's abandoning his own son, um, maybe getting into concerns about repeating patterns of behavior. Um, some of the things that have been shouted out throughout little things like watching It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas, a movie itself uh, with a plot very much centered around a man who is contemplating uh, taking his own life and uh, gets to see a vision of what that would look like a world without him. So uh, there are just so many things I think that we can look at Ted now and say, okay, this really adds up. This makes sense. This is clearly something, obviously, Josh, when they sat down and uh, conceived of the show Ted Lasso, this was in the backstory from the bounce for sure. I would guess so. Um, I, I think so. I mean, I would, I would have to go back and, because I didn't go back and when I and when I watched season one again in anticipation of doing the podcast, like we hadn't really, really had these deeper talks about the show yet. So like I wasn't watching season one trying to clock that. I'd be really interested to go back now and and check out the show um, and um, and see the ways in which this had been seeded all the way along the line. But when you're hearing these stories, right, about like Jason Sudeikis having like the three season arc in mind for Ted Lasso, like then this is a central foundational part of the character. Uh, we certainly hear about his father in the first season. We like see like sort of like the gleam in his eyes. He's wistfully talking about how they would go to the bar every Sunday. And that's how he learned how to play darts and like, uh, like sort of like the, um, you know, sort of like the mythology of his father was was pretty clear even back then. Um, and even though like we'd been hovering around the like what level of tragedy like surrounds what happened to Ted and his family um, when he was, you know, a younger person. Um, I think like no amount of like speculating that is it possible that Ted's father took his own life really prepares you, I think, for the moment that um, Sudeikis plays it in, right. you know, like the uh, especially it's it's worth just like, you know, like taking the step back and not like this show that makes you feel so many different feelings. Like sometimes it's hysterical and then sometimes it's so uplifting and then sometimes it just like kicks your ass, kicks your ASS uh, on three. <laughs> uh, and there's like the whole like the whole locker room scene coming off of like the horrific loss for the team that is mostly played for laughs, I feel like, but then just like cascades into some of the biggest gut punches, like some of the biggest like earth shattering moments for so many of these characters. Um, the, like the, the, all the best daddies uh, yeah. issues have been so front and center for the show. And it's just all like colliding in that locker room scene for face ja punches, not gut punches. Face you know, punches. Yeah, you know, for Jamie, for even for for Roy, who like now, uh, like I guess is this the 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 cure for being a little bitch that was previously thought yeah. incurable? Like he's able to like <laughs> go across the room and like no second, you know, no no questions asked, go and give Jamie that hug. Even Nate, who I know we are concerned about, um, and maybe this episode gives us you could make the argument uh, less reason to be concerned, but also the argument much more reason to be concerned with yep. with Nate. Yeah. Um, that like there's the look on his face he's clearly processing you know his relationship with his father is very foundational to that character um, beard and just like the quaking with rage uh, and the way that he plays that scene I gotta say like 
Brendan Hunt plays that whole his whole role in that scene in the aftermath of the I have to walk this off. Uh, anyone who's ever been like that fired up and angry knows like sort of what what that physically feels like, I think. Um, and then, of course, uh, Sudeikis as Lasso and how so much of what we've been saying about the character for the last several episodes is like this stuff isn't like terribly funny anymore. Like I'm kind of cringing a little bit when he's like shifting in the couch and like trying to find the right spot. Like we know that these are bits uh, like that are built as armor like it's when when you know that there's something really tough underneath all of that like it's a little harder to laugh at everything and so like there was this moment where like i had already cried watching the roy and jamie hug like really killed me antonio like uh i think i mentioned that in the posture recaps patron discord and you remarked that that feeling is because we all need to be hugged by roy kent right like uh, like everyone needs a hug from the Roy Kent. The world needs that right now. And not even Brent Gold, Brett Goldstein, but just Roy Kent. We all yes. need the Roy Kent hug. Uh, and so like, I was already just like, had my, had my, uh, like my, my day rocked at that yeah. point. The George Harrison playing in the background probably yes. didn't help. It was just yeah. like, it was, uh, it was really, really, really such a brilliantly conceived sequence and one of the best of the show. Um, and then for it to be followed up, I, I, I can only speak to like what my reaction was with like, like Sharon getting the call from Ted, Sharon doing so much of the talking and like, you know, really like kind of like allowing for like a moment of vulnerability to share with Ted from her, like knowing like that she needs to give in order to get, you know, with Ted in this relationship, uh, in this, uh, you know, this therapeutic journey that they're on uh, and for like the silence on the other end, there was like this building sense of dread where I'm like, okay, yeah, what's coming next? And when he delivers it, like like the noise that I emitted, like I can't, I could not possibly replicate it here for the podcast, but it was like, you know, this like sort of like the soul leaving your body sigh, you know, it's just like the, Oh God. Um, it was just, it was all like, these are such important story beats for so many of these characters. And the fact that they just like knocked them all down, uh, in such quick succession is really impressive from like a technical and writing standpoint and a performance standpoint. Um, but like one of those things where it's just, it was really, 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 really hard to watch. Obviously, super important and foundational to everything that has happened up to this point and whatever's coming next, but really, really difficult to weather. It was freeing in a way for me um, because it was difficult to weather, but it it feels like there are some big things, right? Some big breakthroughs that happen there. So it feels freeing uh, to see Jamie stand up to his father in the way that he did, even though that's a moment he'll remember the rest of his life. That's a moment that he'll probably have to talk to Dr. Fieldstone about or another doctor. Um, that's very, very difficult to to see happen and see play out, but see the support, the emotional support to have it come from Roy. So significant. It, it just, it feels like such a release. It feels freeing because it feels like something massive happened there. Uh, and of course, we'll probably revert for comic reasons to uh, some level of the relationship that isn't fully on board with that level of intimacy. Uh, and he'll be back. Roy will be back to calling Jamie a little bitch uh, before the week is over, I'm sure. Uh, but maybe not. You know, maybe this is a major thing in a three season show. It will be very interesting to see how their relationship evolves from here. But the Ted one feels so much bigger. It does feel like a watershed. It is so hard to hear. And your immediate reaction, I think, as a viewer is the same as Dr. Fieldstone's, which is like, I'm so sorry that happened to you, yeah. Ted. Like, I'm so sorry that that happened to this character. Um, 
not because I think Ted Lasso is real or anything like that, but because I know there are so many people who are real, right? Who have had this, this sort of thing happen in their lives. Yeah. Uh, and this is captured so perfectly, as you say, like that level of just dread. Uh, anyone that's had kind of close brushes with anything like this, um, it, it feels very significant, I think. And so it does feel freeing in a way to me that it's out there, uh, that we don't have to speculate it about it anymore. Um, that we don't have to like think some type of way about ourselves because we're like, we're leaning into that element of it. Or are we reading this when it should just be a happy show? Like the show is complex. The show is deep. The show is about a lot more than a coach who comes in and slaps a sign, uh, and has a quip for all times. It's about why that guy is who, you know, why he is how he is. And it's just, it's everything you said. Like it comes together so wonderfully in this moment. And you're right about the way Sudeikis plays it. I want to, um, Go a little bit inside the industry here with you, Josh. Um, just generally speaking, I'm not sure if you even know, but of course, um, when actors are nominated for, for awards, for things like the Emmys, it's based on the back of not their entire body of work over the course of a season, right? But an episode that they submit. Right. Uh, so I wonder, is this something where this is a no-brainer for Sudeikis to submit, or is it that there's not enough of the funny Ted Lasso in it? Like, how do you see this sort of thing? Is it always like a big character moment like this that they have an opportunity to play that they want to, they want to say is uh, what they should feature for their consideration for stuff like that? Well, I feel like, uh, you know, you're not, you're not submitting a scene, you know, like you're, right. su- you're submitting Man City, which is, right. which is the episode. And there is, uh, I think not for nothing, this was one of the funnier Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso episodes in a while. Uh, because I do think that you're starting to feel that sort of like give and take between him and Sharon, uh, and her like being like a little more receptive to just like weathering Ted's Tedness, right. uh, you know, right. and like the way, like, you know, how he like refuses <laughs> to leave the apartment and stuff like that. And like, uh, the drinking that glass of water, so <laughs> awkwardly. you know, so like, that's another piece I think of why, uh, it, it lands the way that it lands yeah. in that moment is because, um, at least for me, it's not gonna, it's not gonna ring the same for everybody, but like for me, like I felt like this was the most I, I, uh, was enjoying Ted as a character in a long time. Cause like clearly he was starting to like prioritize his relationship with Dr. Sharon, uh, more and like is like now because we have last week's episode. Um, and I do think that in hindsight, like this is, uh, one of, one of the things about headspace that is extremely useful is like we're through like that piece of the tension in the relationship with Ted and Sharon. And now we are like, you know, that's behind us. That's rear view of like the Ted is like rejecting the process. Now he's in the process. We've seen that. We don't have to consider that anymore. And so like now I feel like, I don't know, for me, like I feel like this is a Ted who's like ready to start doing the work. And so like I can find that version of Ted pretty funny again. Um, So I think that like an episode like Man City, if you're talking about like awards consideration, is this an episode that you would submit? Um, I think, I think for sure. I think that this episode really, uh, just like generally across the board, I bet that there are a lot of people, and I haven't done a ton of thinking about this of like, this is the best episode of Ted Lasso yet. You know, like, uh, but I could, I can imagine the Why argument. Why do they have that voice, Josh? I don't know. I just assigned it. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I can, I can imagine the, certainly the argument, uh, makes sense to me. And what I would say is like, this feels like one of like, the most representative Ted Lasso episodes yet. Like a very like Ted Lasso-y episode. It's very similar to when they were in Liverpool, right? Uh, right. Last season. Make Rebecca great again. Yeah. It's like, it's a very similar vibe of like, 
showcasing what the show can be, showcasing what the characters can be, that they can be funny, that they can be more than that, um, that they can be um, they can be really serious and meaningful and and um, you know haunted and all of this stuff. Um, that this is not just like you know an episode like this, Antonio. When you and I were before we started podcasting about it, like the many weeks talking about should we podcast about the show, like this was an episode I felt like that was like really demonstrative of why I felt like this was a show that was really in our wheelhouse. Of like you and I really love these big uh, these big swing themes, uh, these huge topics, like a really meaty show. It's not just an NBC comedy. This is no shade. You know, it is. <laughs> I it, felt that shade. How dare you? It is. Uh, it is. It is like a really, 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 really big show that has a lot going on beyond just the laughs. Uh, so I think that this one, um, you know, who knows what's to come with with uh, with Ted specifically as a character moving forward. Um, I don't know that like this necessarily to me is like this is this is Jason Sudeikis' best episode of Ted Lasso, but it was an excellent episode of Ted Lasso for Jason Sudeikis uh, in in a way that I think really highlights why this show is special and why this show is so zeitgeisty at the moment. I'm glad I asked, because that's... I sort of had that sense about it, but I couldn't really put words to it, and I think that that is exactly what I was wondering about, or why I you know thought to say... Is this what he would submit? Because I think you're right in terms of it's representative, not just of his work, but of the series as a whole. And it stands on the shoulders of giants in a way, like you say, it's not just an NBC show. Like it goes all the way back to Cheers in some ways, the workplace comedy where the characters really care about one another. Uh, and that's really what's at the heart of the show. Uh, and the Cheers influenced obviously all of the Mike Schur shows. Uh, which are, you know, they build on that, whether it's at a workplace like the office or whether it's parks and recreation at, you know, the workplace of a local government. Um, it, it builds on that. And of course, then the genre has, has shifted in some ways on network. So it, it's there, but it stands on the shoulders of that. And I think it, it stands on the shoulders of its own work. Like it's a culmination of so many things. Like we were talking about it just, it ends up in this episode paying off on so much. I mean, think about, the story of Jamie Tart, uh, we see in the uh, it's the hope the hope that kills you episode, the end of season one, uh, when Jamie has passed the ball that leads to the goal that gets Richmond relegated, and we see his father, the same actor. I thought they might have recast the guy. I didn't remember this guy being that swarthy, uh, but he's like yelling at Jamie in the locker room, and Ted witnesses it. Right, like he sees it happen. And he walks away uncomfortably. Um, but that's when we really learn about why Jamie is how Jamie is. Yeah. Uh, and we learn a little bit more about that. It's pretty course, wild, Antonio, that we yeah. find out in this episode that Jamie Tart's father is oh. uh, Fagan from Oliver Twist. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like Bob Hoskins or whatever his name is. <laughs> Smee. Like, you know, uh, I know that word, uh, that it's Bill Sykes is the Roy Kent uh, inspiration. So it's just amazing the way we really probably got to do an Oliver podcast in order to fully understand <laughs> ted lasso who's the we artful dodger should. you know I, I, this feels like something that would be talked about in the richmond like the afc richmond locker room like ted would have ted and beard would have very specific takes on this oh yeah specific issue yeah well jamie yeah. must have been real hard for you growing up under the being the son of fagan <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a really good scene while uh beard is wearing his uh his, his, his own artful dodger hat yeah yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, this guy's super swarthy. Like, yeah. uh, just the, just, and like a very good performance in that locker room, obviously. Like, it has to be presented in the way that it is. Like, it, the, the white, like, shining light all around that locker room, and it's how aseptic it feels uh, without any character. And this 
guy just walks in like a virus almost. Uh, and it, it is really well played in that moment. But it is, like I said, it's the culmination of the Jamie Tart storyline and like what we know about Jamie and why Jamie is how he is. Yeah. And we've seen the push pull of that happening over the course of this season. And of course, we see the culmination of it here. Similarly, like I said, it recontextualizes a lot of what we've said about Ted. We had obviously guessed at the fact that there was some tragedy there when he talks about how his dad passed away when he was 16, when he's in that darts scene at the bar. Uh, Rebecca hears that and it registers. I mean, Hannah Waddingham's that incredibly expressive face. And if she really takes that in at the moment, like, oh, Ted lost his dad when he was pretty young. Like, there's definitely something there. And we as viewers, I think, take that in as well. And we know throughout that this guy has a specific mentality he has for a reason. Um, and he doesn't want to talk about things in therapy, uh, what might be leading into all of this. It feels like the culmination of all that. So it is fantastically done. So this show really does stand on its own work in many respects. I mean, it maybe will play differently on a binge. We always engage in this conversation about week to week versus binging a series. I mean, if you're binging this, it will probably feel more directly linked. But I mean, I don't think you have to think too hard about what happens in seasons one and two and some of these key moments with Ted to see how representative this is and how it really fits into all of that. So I just think a really good job of that. Something that I feel like maybe the the tail wagged the dog a little bit on, uh, we can talk about now if you'd like, which is the Rebecca and Sam situation, sure. which I think, you know, I don't know if they had planned in season one that they would have a storyline where these two characters end up romantically linked. Or if it emerged from the natural chemistry the actors had in season one and the couple of moments that they shared and they thought, you know what, let's lean into that a little bit more. We really like these two on screen together. There's something interesting. Let's get to it. So I don't know if that storyline was planned from the first season, but it definitely ties back to the first season. What are your thoughts on the continuity of it all? I'm not sure we've really talked about that. Does this feel earned to you, at least on that level? Well, I believe that we've talked a little bit about how there is that scene in the first yes. season when yes. Sam comes to Rebecca and says, like, I'm not asking you on a date or, like, I'm not hitting on you or whatever. Because uh, it does, like, initially that scene has that vibe. And I think, like, even going back to, like, uh, I think going back to that, uh, preview podcast we did maybe i don't know if it was quite that early uh we did like uh like note that that was like i want to see more from sam on the show because that scene is so great and that scene is given to a character that like normally you imagine that going to a series regular like that's typically like ted is is uh coming to rebecca in that scene but like you could even imagine like Roy going to rebecca in that scene but sam is a recurring character and it just doesn't seem like this is um this is when you when you this is not like the story that you give to Sam unless you have something a little bit more in, interesting in mind and yeah. um so I think like I don't know like I'm like a little bit like blindly putting some trust in the idea of like the three season plan means that they have a decent amount of this like fairly tightly built out and especially Antonio if what happens with Sam and Rebecca is like. Not just like, oh, great, these characters that we really like are going to be happy and they're going to be happy together and that's wonderful. And it's just like Roy and Keely all over, but like has like 
instead like very important ripple effects for like the narrative structure of the show which i suspect it it does and we've definitely talked a little bit about like the concerns we have of like what could spiral out from sam and rebecca getting yes. together and the way in which um again the i i conflate what we've talked about offline and online um but i i know that we've at the very least talked offline um about how uh how rebecca because husband has like talked about Sam specifically, right? Ex-husband, like, yes, yes, yes. That Sam, that Rebecca's ex-husband has talked about Sam specifically in that bar scene that we've already referenced, uh, like uh, you know what he's going to do with Sam once he has like ownership over the team and stuff. Um, we've talked about how. Um, Sam's stand is what uh, convinces uh, Rebecca to like take her own stand against uh, uh, Dubai Air and everything like that. Um, so I, I, I strongly suspect that like, uh, and it should be noted, I don't, I don't know what the, the the general take from the Ted Lasso viewing public is, but certainly a bunch of people who watch Ted Lasso and interact with us on the podcast side of things and in the audience, this didn't land great. Um, like yeah. it's the kind of thing where uh, people were like happy they're happy and it's cute but also like power imbalance issues and like i feel it a little uncomfortable with like the way that this relationship is taking shape um so there's certainly people in our listenership who do not love the the turn for sam and rebecca um i'm a simple man and i see two people who i like a lot being really happy and liking each other and like i don't think about it too much more critically beyond that at least right away like i think it's stuff that's worth talking about but like in the moment i was like oh this is so sweet this is great and I think about it a little bit more and I'm like, this could be the stuff of like enormous upheaval and drama in like, a, uh, you know, like a, a scary way moving forward. All of this word soup to say, I think that if it is going to have the potential ripple effect that it could reasonably have moving forward, that it feels to me like it could be something that they at least like began the process of plotting out in season one where they have like a scene between the two characters. Uh, is this going to work? Is this a chemistry test? Basically, you know what I mean? Right. right. Um, so I, I will, I will give the, you know, in, in lasso, I trust, right? Like I will, I will give the show the credit uh, at this point and think that like, they have like some version of this maybe mapped out. Um, maybe not from like the jump jump, um, but over the course of like plotting out season one and then thinking about the show's future, I can imagine it emerging from there. Yeah, there's a world where they spend so much time, even in the beginning of the season, especially in the first episode with John Wings Knight and Rebecca and putting her relationship and, and like dating and her views of what she's looking for in the world out there. They really contextualize that upfront in season one or season two, episode one. So that does feel like even if they maybe had planned this out, uh, at some point between season one and two, they thought it's really important that we begin se- the second season in the first episode by putting Rebecca's relationship issues front and center because we know what we're going to do with this the rest of the season. So it's really important that we make sure that that's clear. Now, there's another side of this that says, well, Rebecca's relationship issue that they talked about in season one was the Rupert situation, and it took her a really long time uh, to process all of that. And involved in that was her coming clean to Ted uh, and getting that to a point where it no longer triggered her. The dart scene is perceived as a big victory over Rupert. That's near the end of the season. So maybe it's just that she was preoccupied with Rupert issues uh, such that it begins season two without Rupert in the picture. It's a lot easier for her to immediately be talking and doing other things. And therefore, it just is happenstance that it's in the first episode. But it really does feel like 
in the way that Better Call Saul does with the key relationship of the show, um, that they pressed uh, a button at the beginning of this second season and said, Rebecca's relationship and dating is going to be very important. And then we got to the point now where we know why. And I think you're right. If this plays out the way it could, um, it would be interesting to see like how specifically uh, we get into how this drives the larger plot of the show. The larger plot of the show, I would argue, yes, if you want to talk about what the show is about, it's definitely about the relationships of the characters. There's no question about that. But if you want to talk about the logline of the show or like what you're saying like happens over the course of the three seasons plot-wise, a lot of it's going to be around the fortunes of AFC Richmond. And so the question I guess I have is whether Ted's therapy uh, turns into the story of the improved fortunes or like a lack thereof of AFC Richmond, uh, Rebecca's issues with Sam uh, and the potential problems that could emerge there. I want to know how they relate to AFC Richmond, because I just think that that's the ultimate course of the show. It's just how these characters relate to where they all come together, which is AFC Richmond. And so that's the part of it for me that I, I do have some concern about. I mean, it was a little throwaway moment in this episode, and it played, I think, on the surface as a moment of jealousy uh, by Jamie Tart, um, and, and not in an angry way in this case, which it has been in the past when he's uh, in season one gone out of his way to insult Sam because Sam said nice things about Sam's father, um, and that made Jamie angry because we know what Jamie's issues are. In this particular case, I think it just really hurt him, such that it also hurt Colin, uh, who the weight got dropped on while it was happening. Yeah. Uh, but the scene where Sam's dad calls him and says, hey, did you get the news? Cerithium oil will no longer be allowed to operate in Nigeria. This is because of the butterfly effect of what you did. Um, his dad's linking it right to him. In a world where that is happening, uh, you would imagine Cerithium Oil, vis a vis Dubai Air, um, probably felt some pressure uh, over Sam's political campaign. Uh, and maybe this is the reason why there was a crackdown. So the backlash that could come from this, especially in a world where it becomes public knowledge that Rebecca and Sam are an item, is scary to me. That's the, the uncomfy part of the show that totally. I'm not sure I want to deal with, but it is very much in play. Well, it's The um, Empire Strikes Back. We keep talking about this, right? Like, that's, yes. that's a touchstone potentially for this season. Yep. We're in yeah. the, you know, we're in that, like, um, sort the of empire like, is the patriarchy in this case, I think, or just like the, the moneyed empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we're in that like edgier second act, right? Before, right. like, if this is like a three act structure that you imagine, like the dark forest, as Ted Lasso himself said. Yeah. So, like, in that universe, like, in that world where that's the thing. Yeah, man. Like, you don't think that this could potentially be like pretty bad? Like, right. There's a lot of track that's laid for it. And like, Rebecca's uh, the tabloid treatment of Rebecca in season one. Yeah. She is a known item and she has been treated negatively. Yes. In the tabloids in season one. Rupert himself has a lot of connections to these tabloids. Like, he is clearly well placed there. So, it's a little bit scary and it's not just going to come from that direction, right? Because there's the possibility that Nate will spill all of that, uh, mushroom laced tea that he heard about, uh, in the locker room there, whether it's Ted's panic attacks or Higgins screwing up at the transfer deadline and not getting, uh, a player contract in uh, under the gun, uh, before it needed to get through or the fact uh, that beard was hallucinating through yes, a previous yeah. game in the season. Or Roy Kent just doesn't even bother to read the scouting reports <laughs> and his dereliction of duty is going on there. So like, I, yeah, Nate could spill all that tea to the Trent Crims of the world. To and not the for nothing, media. like, Nate's confession wasn't like a, a no. like a dark bearing of the <laughs> no. soul. Like, one of these things yeah. is not like the other. Like, obviously, like, 
Ted having panic attacks is a, is a very big emotional reveal. Uh, and so, like, in terms of, like, emotionality, I think that's that's going to be king of that huddle. Uh, but, like, other than that, like, one of these things really is not like the other. And it's Nate being, like, you know, effectively being, like, I'm the wonder kid, you know? And, right. I, and I, I try and make it look spontaneous. But, no, I'm actually really good at this that I've been good at this. Yeah. And that's kind of scary in a way, right? Because it shows a level of, like, premeditation. That uh, I think speaks to the kind of character that might uh, see a, pot- a potential move in talking to the press about this sort of thing, like maybe for a power play uh, or something, maybe out of anger, uh, but maybe maybe both. Like this guy's a manipulator. He's an admitted manipulator. So how far does that go? It's concerning for sure. Uh, and you can imagine a world where like some of these things are contextualized. It's like Higgins missed the transfer deadline. Well, why did he miss the deadline? Well, Higgins doesn't even have an office. Like the shit is falling apart over there. Cindy like, Crawford died. He was yeah, heartbroken. Cat- well, fine. Yes, he was heartbroken. I'm sure that that will sway the hearts and minds of the uh, football mad it would work for me public. it would work for me yes well <laughs> it's more than go. enough for me more than enough for me as well yeah. but uh something tells me that's not going to move the sure. needle much yeah. uh but yeah you could just see where it paints a, a picture of afc richmond that isn't good overall and i don't know there's been some supposition that rebecca might just be really 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 rich and so they're sort of immune to this pressure um it will be interesting obviously to own a football club you do have to be rich and we have some sense that rebecca at least on some level comes from the kind of money that can buy teslas as an apology gift but what we don't necessarily know is um is is a lot of her money from rupert what what is that subject to right i i don't know uh, i don't really know uh and i don't know if the sam obasanya of it all can impact some of that um so i don't really know how all of this goes i, I, think, I just I don't do know. think i think like uh like sort of like the the tabloidness of it um you know i think like i don't know if it's enough to like you know drive rebecca to like have to resign or anything like that um i think i think it's not off the table i think it is it is something that you could imagine i think you could also imagine a world in which it like inspires rebecca a little bit to be like f this like my life is you know uh needs to be what it's going to be and maybe this isn't worth my time like there are worlds in which that um is something that that occurs um but i i feel like there's so much there's so much um potentially linked through rebecca and sam's new relationship that you can imagine um some fallout uh cascading down on the rest of afc richmond from this i feel like for me the the stuff that nate hears if we want to like shift to that a tiny bit at least at this point like so there's like the moment where they're where they're all in the huddle and it's the one two three butts and they all get to like you know share a little bit of something and like it's a it's a great scene and it's just like it's always fun to see the diamond dogs together and like getting a moment like that where they're all like getting something off their chest and it is it is that scene is once again like representative of ted lasso that could be both uh like emotional and then suddenly like really funny um but also then potentially like a little bit concerning as it pertains to nate and if this is a guy who as he says uh like thinks of these ideas and then like tries to make them seem spontaneous uh which i think can be totally harmless and totally fun and like a great note for like uh like an anxiety brain character coming from an anxiety brained podcaster like relatable what he's talking about like i get where he's coming from um but like we are also like marking these like darker turns for nate along the way this season where uh you know we see the way that he's treating will in the locker room at the end of last episode or the episode before this most recent one anyway um and 
is there the world where he goes to Trent Krim, uh, the independent? Is there a world where like he, he like uses this as fuel and like some of this comes out? Um, I feel like the, my feeling on this, and this is what I would love to talk about with you is like for Nate to do something like that. I don't know what that necessarily does in terms of harming AFC Richmond. You know, like I don't think that like, you know, like, like outing Ted as somebody who is suffering from uh, panic attacks necessarily means that like Ted Lasso has to leave AFC Richmond or something like that. But I think like saying something like that utterly, uh, you know, if not like forever breaks permanently ruins Nate's relationships in the, uh, the greater AFC Richmond universe, certainly like horribly damages that stuff. We've seen like Ted, uh, forgive people, for you know a lot right like you know he totally absolved rebecca of, of rebecca's whole reason for bringing ted into this universe in the first place but that's the thing that i think i'm the most concerned about is like sort of the way that like nate um if nate chooses to like go down this road use this for some sort of leverage or something like that just like what are some of like the real like horrible like personal consequences of that like it's gonna be really uncomfortable to see if that's the direction that we're going in I know. And that's the concern about a Dark Forest season, about an Empire Strikes Back season. Um, it definitely has that level of concern to it. Uh, it's funny. Like I said, I felt freed by watching what happened with Jamie and his father or watching Ted's admission uh, to Dr. Fieldstone. But um, those were terribly emotional moments. And yet these moments haven't come. They have not arrived, and they may not come, and yet I feel more burdened by them uh, or more uh, just dread that emanates from where those will head than I do about those really, really, really emotional moments that were in this episode. Totally. Uh, I'm inventing, I think, some of the anxiety, but it just seems like it's going to happen in some way. Uh, it's funny because this show does a lot of uh, the very popular uh, subverting expectations, right? Like something that uh, is very, uh, it is very. Um, no, I wouldn't. Even, I wouldn't That's even say Game trendy. Game of Thrones was so groundbreaking, right? The subversion <laughs> yeah. of expectations. Yes, exactly. People thought it would be fantastic, and then they were. Yeah. Uh, their expectations were completely subverted. <laughs> um, no, I. I just mean like in season one, right? The the assumption is okay, like. It's all going to go okay. Like it's it's a fairy tale ending. They will get a tie after all. It will because uh, it will be because they did some trick play and something great happens. And through the miracle and the skin of their teeth, Ted Lasso's plucky bunch will you know carry the day forward. And then of course they lose. Right? They 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 give up the goal. Uh, Man City wins and they're relegated. And the expectation is subverted. So I think the expectation had always been that this would be the season where they would find their way to get promoted again. Uh, TBD on that front. Uh, it certainly got off to a rocky start, but we don't know uh, how that story will end. But I feel like the expectation is almost clear right now that having that information dumped to Nate and having all this stuff that we've built up with Nate and his anger and his issues and all the reasons why he feels the way that he does, it just feels like the next step of this is he is going to air all that dirty laundry. So maybe because it's so obvious, they will subvert those expectations and it will come out somehow differently, yeah, somehow sure. more emotionally. Yep. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I hope between so. Nate and Ted, we still have not had a just Nate and Ted scene this season. Um, so maybe it'll just be a very emotional scene for those two actors to play in a couple of episodes, and it won't be a leak to the media, but something is coming, and it's going to be pretty significant, I think, when it does. So yeah. 
we're uh, we're certainly not anywhere out of the woods with with regard to Coach Nate. I mean, his love for the franchise is so deep that I can absolutely see him doing something against these people. Um, and they're people who have taken him for granted in many respects, uh, and people that he's butted heads with. So. It will be fascinating to see. That's the part uh, that I'm most concerned about going forward from this episode, other than what we could see with the Rebecca and Sam stuff. I don't want to finish the Rebecca and Sam stuff without saying, like, I definitely understand um, why some people are uncomfortable with it. Uh, Even you can live in a world where we like the characters. We like these two as actors. uh, We feel they have a natural chemistry. uh, It makes us feel good to see them happy. All the things that you said, we can live in that world and still acknowledge, like, the on-screen aspects of it, I understand why people do have some difficulty with it. Um, whether it's the power dynamic, uh, which I think is significant, uh, or the age dynamic, which certainly often comes hand-in-hand hand with the power dynamic, uh, it is something when it, when it comes to workplace relationships that is already so incredibly difficult uh, to really... Um, face down uh how to talk about like to talk about like uh in a way that could in any way say that this be- can become acceptable under these circumstances uh it starts down a really uh, dangerous road i think and so the show i think is asking us to accept the circumstances under which it would be acceptable uh, and i still feel a little bit uncomfortable about it um even though i still feel very good about trusting the process uh, as we talked about earlier i have some concern that the process that we're trusting uh, is one that's going to lead to more drama uh, and more negative energy coming into the show vis-a-vis how it could blow up in their faces. Uh, but maybe I should trust that the show understands that that could happen and that where we end up after that is still going to be positive. Ted gave us the mission statement, Josh, about the Dark Forest season. Never is at the beginning and it's never at the end. So I just do trust over the three season arc of the right. show or yes, anywhere same. they go beyond it that we're going to end up in a good place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good place. Uh, or maybe we'll end up in the good place. Yeah. Or maybe we'll end up in an afterlife that these people collectively all make up together with one another. Are you trying to? Nope, okay. nope, nope. Yep, nope yep, I'm not. Yep. Yep. Um, cool. I'm just going to skip on past that. Um, okay. I I hope for the best for this storyline because I love Rebecca. I love Sam. Uh, I want this to work out in whatever way is positive for the characters the most. Uh, but like, is it dicey? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's it was very interesting to me to see how each individual character responded to that. Um, Sam is like laughing about it right away. He's like, laughing cracking about it. up immediately. Yes. And Rebecca's like, I'm uh, angry. What did she say? Like, I've been grooming you. Yes, I'm a pedophile. <laughs> I'm a pedophile. Can yeah. we adopt that, by the way? Oh, can we say God. that that way in the United States? Uh, can we I say pedophile? You could try. I would uh, like to do that. I'd rather not use the word that, that often would be ideal. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Better to not have it come up in discourse. And I think if you do, and you're a person like one of us, uh, they might assume you are one if you pronounce it in the other mm. way. So I think better to leave it to the people I know it best. It but was very it funny. Was, uh, it, was, it was done really well, like the moment yeah. where they're both at the restaurant, they're both at the bar, and the moment that they both realize it, and Sam really having that like, oh shit reaction yes. was just awesome. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that. And even him like being there waiting for rebecca at the end what a move man uh, for next time yeah you know like it's it's like it's big rom-com stuff uh but it is it is also uh you know it potentially really really hairy and i think it is uh it is dangerous ground for the show no no it's not potentially hairy josh because sam got an incredible haircut the haircut storyline is awesome uh (laughs) so good isaac only gives one haircut a season uh, yeah so good is just like 
just in, an unbelievably incredible thing and like the art behind it everyone like uh, like rallying behind and like the way that Isaac is considering Sam yes um, the matador like uh, entrance with the uh, the tools and the dancing around Isaac like, is a great character uh, really great really just, like, great the way that they use Isaac on on the show like he he sort of does have like this like uh he does like kind of have like this Khal Drogo vibe about him, you know what I mean? Like there is like this sort of like warlord quality to him, and like the way that he like leads this team, I think is really really great. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you, it, yeah, look how he won the respect of Roy Kent in season one. Right, it was by breaking a television. That is a Dothraki yeah, act in yeah, this realm. Yes, you know what I mean? Yes, like, for sure. That is as Dothraki as you can get in that film room, I think, without breaking laws. Um, um, there's a lot, yeah, a lot right. more, to, a lot more to talk about. Um, I, I love the haircut. I love the haircut as well. I thought the haircut was really great. It Let's- was like a there's a something in the West Wing that you may not have seen an Alice and Jenny moment. The Jackal. It was very reminiscent of the Jackal, uh, where it's just basically a lip sync that Alice and Jenny performs. That is like among anyone who knows in the office at the West Wing, uh, just this legendary performance that she will occasionally do uh, on at moments of uh, true revels. Uh, so she performs it on the show and it is very, very similar to this where it's, there's a Jan Moss moment where it's just like, don't, are you really talking to me while the jackal is happening? Like you're doing this now? Like it's just, uh, it's very, very reminiscent of that. And so I, I, I really enjoyed that scene. And I, you know, this is the benefit of having a longer episode is we can have just great moments like this, which really just add a running joke to the show where people talk about the haircut throughout, uh, whether it's Arlo White or Rebecca, but uh, just an, a really good team moment. Uh, and it feels very much like part of the AFC Richmond vibe. I really, really liked it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So much in this episode that uh, that we that we want to make sure we cover. Uh, we went back a little bit to Rebecca and Sam. We talked a lot about Ted Lasso's side of the conversation with Dr. Sharon, but I do also just like want to take the moment uh, to uh, to like stop down and and really appreciate the way that the show explores Sharon as a character 
in this episode. This is a great piece of um, The Sopranos back in the day, right? Like Melfian therapy. Yes, with Peter um, Bogdanovich. You know, like I feel like that's a that's like a really fun thing to to explore is the therapist in therapy and like going through that. I have a couple of friends who are uh, in that professional uh, field, uh, and like they they like you know are like a couple of close ones are like you need a therapist, sir. You know, like my my therapizing <laughs> friend, like you need a therapist, and I know that they go through that, and so like I hear stories about that. It was it was just fun to like see like the sort of like the sword down uh dr sharon like having that person who she could just say to like ted lasso is driving me effing crazy um was great and also the way that like she goes to work on the bike and what does she say to that one guy before the accident the, the dog hates the sweater uh-huh yeah that's me for sure <laughs> In- <laughs> yelling at a stranger um, about their dog being a shithead That's so i definitely me i really enjoyed this look at the character i really enjoyed uh and I, I i've been enjoying sarah niles all season long uh but i loved sharon in this episode i felt like this was like the um like the opening silo of like getting into like Sharon's specific story as opposed to like Sharon, just like being like somebody who is um, being set up. I don't know if, if in opposition to Ted is exactly right. I think it's close enough uh, for, for want of a readier uh, word um, that I think like now, now, like uh, she's not just like in that position. Now she's, she seems so much more human to me as of this episode. Like, we, yes. you know, is this something that we could have gotten like back in the Christmas episode if they could have like found some time to like put Sharon in there? Should this have happened earlier? I don't know what it could have, should have. It's happened here. It happened now. Uh, and I think uh, really, really grateful for that and really excited to see her story unfold and uh, like kind of like, um, mark her growth as well through the future interactions she may have still still to come just even like her attitude in the hospital everything like her like her like mixture of like appreciation for ted and her exhaustion with ted uh the the voice memos that she left for yes, ted oh, too. So, funny. Um, so funny i just i i'm really happy this character exists on the show and that we've uh we've we started uh getting into some of these layers this week i think it was it was very 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 good uh very good material in an already really great episode the dimensionality is appreciated. Um, it's important. It's important for the character. It's important for the character's relationship uh, with Ted. Uh, and it's important for us as viewers to know more about the character. Uh, and I feel like after the first episode, I felt better about Dr. Fieldstone. I felt when she came in, she was a little bit aggro. Uh, and uh, there's like just a level of like, uh, wouldn't even wave back at Ted. Like that, that just, that, that energy was not positive. Uh, I do feel like she's not oppositional to Ted now, but I would say the important part is that they're emotional allies, um, that they work for the same organization, uh, that Ted is, is there to know. Ted knows that she can, can and will help him, I think, uh, and is embracing that. Uh, and they have a good relationship where she knows that she can be a little bit vulnerable with him and that he will take care of her, that he will not uh, violate that in any way, that he does care about her on an emotional level, um, that the hostility that emerged a couple of episodes ago um, is not necessarily uh, where they're at right now. And all that is exceptionally valuable. It's also valuable because the character of the African-American uh, therapist, the female therapist, uh, uh, there was a there was an interview um, with uh, Sarah Niles this week where she talked about uh, playing this character and all the things uh, 
that went into that. It was at Vulture. Um, and the article points out, you know, the interview that this is a character that they're, they're very similar characters and shows like you're the worst, uh, never have I ever crazy ex-girlfriend, broad city, grace and Frankie in treatment. Uh, I'm taking Vulture at their word on some of that because I haven't seen all of those shows, yep. but I've seen a couple of them and I do know exactly what they're talking about. Um, and so it's interesting, I think, knowing that that is what uh, the kind of character that's out there in the zeitgeist and is being used uh, in the ways that it is. Um, I think it's really important that we have the dimensionality here, um, that we really build this character uh, as dimensionally as we have all the others. Uh, and we don't have somebody just coming in inexplicably hostile or uh, oppositional uh, and mysterious in her ways, uh, like we had at the beginning of the season, uh, that we really get to a point. Uh, I think our relationship as viewers mirroring hers with ted yes um i was we going to, to embrace that i was gonna say like you know like that point that you made earlier about like her not waving back at ted right like i think that like structurally our relationship with sharon at the start of the show is is meant to be like ted's relationship so there is like the feeling of her of her getting closer which is you know like uh represented in like her actually she's like absolutely definitely like moving forward through rows yes, in the crowd yes. very, you know? very funny. <laughs> so like and i feel like there is like that level of of uh of like and uh you know there's like this enigmatic quality to to sharon um, from from Ted's perspective and so much of the show, given that it is called Ted Lasso, is that we should be with Ted. But it is interesting that it's like uh, Ted is the one who's kind of at the frosty remove this season in in a way. So like if that felt strange or if that felt odd, like on both sides of the line, I think that is like very much like architecturally by design uh, for, for the story. And so I think like this episode uh, feels like and just like talking that stuff through even Antonio, like I feel like that stuff um, that feels very, very deliberate. And this does feel like a really important episode for like the ways in which things are going to move forward for, for both of these characters. Lots of stuff coming out of Vulture this week, not just the Sarah Niles interview, um, but a great op-ed uh, from Amma Marfo that you can read. Ted Lasso reveals its long game um, that goes into a lot of this and uh, the, the tropes. Um, that you are that you are mentioning as well, uh, and the way in which um, the the Doctor Fieldstone character that Sharon um, is like very much like it feels like deliberately engaging um, some of those ideas. So really worth a read. Um, the other uh, vulture thing that is perhaps worth uh, calling out uh, that unfortunately I did not get a chance to to read before this podcast, but I know that you did. Uh, Phil Dunster, who plays Jamie Tart, there's a big interview. With him up on Vulture, there's a question about his uh, about Jamie Eyebrow. Tart's eyebrows, uh, yes. which raised my eyebrow. I was quickly <laughs> scanning it. I don't know if anything from there either stood out to you, Antonio, or if we just want to use this as an opportunity to start talking about Jamie before we wrap up. I just love the way Phil Dunster is playing Jamie uh, this season, especially uh, last season as well. There were moments and of dimensionality that were added. At first, he was just a dick, right? Uh, and really such a jerk. And that was his whole role in the show for maybe five or six episodes. And then we have the moment where he comes clean a little bit uh, and shows up to the team event where they're trying to free themselves of the curse. And he tells Rojas to open the tequila and they're ready to drink. 
Uh, and maybe Jamie's going to get on board and then he's gone, right? And we just see a TV interview with him and we see him in the final match do what he does. And we see the moment with him and his father and we see the moment with he and Beard. Uh, and then Jamie opening up the letter uh, from Ted back on the bus. And then we're, we're right there with uh, Lust Conquers All at the beginning of this season and the Jamie Tart that we've enjoyed over the course of this season. So I really, really like the way Phil Dunster is playing this character. I am interested to see um, what the ultimate story for Jamie is. Like, where do we go from a character who clearly has problems in with his attitude and with the way he views the world uh, directly as a result of the way that uh, he's been raised uh, and his negative relationship with his father, whose name he puts in quotes as dad in his phone. He doesn't even have as dad. There's quotes around it. Like that's the negative energy that exists there. Now we're seeing him get past that a little bit, uh, learn how and when to turn the killer instinct on and off that made him so successful, uh, but really try to get past uh, just being driven by his desire to show up his father or impress his father. Um, now we're taking that character in new directions and now he's directly stood up to his father. So I don't know where we go with Jamie Tart from here. I, it's a little easier to mop, uh, map out the drama or things we're looking for with some of these other characters. I'm interested to know what you think the next steps are for Jamie, uh, and where he ends up, uh, at the, you know, maybe by the end of the season. Like what, what is there left for Jamie? What, what, what things are there left? What goals are there left for Jamie to score? Well, I think that he's still on that, um, you know, that enlightenment quest to a certain degree. And I think like it's certainly a big deal for him to confront his father, uh, and to, to have that moment. But I think also in sort of like the way that we see, um, Ted goes to Sharon and is ready, uh, to make an appointment and then is maybe in the cold light of day, less ready to like maintain the appointment to like, uh, there's something to be said for like needing to both hold the line and then advance the line. Like there is like a piece, there's a step here. So like, uh, Jamie has, has like, uh, has looked in the mirror and named what he has seen. Um, but now he has to like stay in front of it and then like walk through. Um, so yeah. like, I think like that's the stuff that still needs to happen with that character. And, uh, it's going to be, I mean, I think you, you mentioned this earlier, like, how can they, like, both play this for drama and for laughs? Like, the Jamie and Roy hug, does he just go back, do they just go back to, like, where they were? Or, like, uh, do they have a moment of, like, wow, you guys are best friends now, right? You hugged it out, and Roy's like, fuck all, no. you know? Like, no, no. You know, like, where are we going to go with all that? Um, I hope that those two stories are uh, intertwined to a certain degree. I would like to see um, the ways in which uh, these two guys can maybe finally like if there is some level of mutual understanding here that's established by this traumatic event how does that advance them both certainly what we get from roy if we kind of want to say talk about these things in tandem this yes week. i mean because it's roy as a surrogate father to both characters in a way yes. um that roy was the veteran that jamie was supposed to look up to but that he had issues with which was very similar to what roy experienced early in his career uh so it was a sort of like older head that could really guide jamie through some of this uh and now it's somebody who can help coach him and learn when to turn these things on and off but now the support is on a much different level uh and it is emotional in its nature and that makes him does it does make him feel more like a surrogate parent he's the one not ted who rushes forward to hug jamie uh he's the one who steps up and does that and 
it has to be taken in tandem with his other actions as a surrogate father in this episode and Roy himself worrying that he's infecting Phoebe with the worst parts of him and then seeing that play out in another relationship with Jamie and his right. father. Like it's very clearly connected for Roy and Jamie. So it does make some sense that it would continue to be kind of connected in that way. But I thought the Roy and Phoebe stuff in this episode was great as usual. Uh, and really it just does speak to Roy's growth as this surrogate father, this leader, this person who is sensitive enough to understand these feelings and capture them and try to learn from these mistakes and try to grow as a human being. Uh, it's just uh, the Phoebe stuff has just been aces across the board with Roy Kent throughout both seasons. Uh, and I think some of the best stuff we're seeing uh, was certainly in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious to see where it goes. It was really um, it was really powerful to, to see that stuff. And I think no mistake that um last season ended at least in part with Ted um you know observing the abusive relationship between Jamie's father and Jamie uh and that clearly like sitting with him in a in a in a weighty way yes. uh and that being the thing that um you know that's the straw that breaks the the lasso's back uh when he finally like opens up the valve and opens up to somebody about um about what happened to him as a child and and his father's death and the circumstances around that at least like beginning that conversation yeah. uh you know so like it was a really it was a really important thing for the show there are a lot of characters on this show and not a ton of time left on the clock for season two certainly and then like i guess like all told, uh, right? Like if this does end up being just a three season thing, um, we've got four episodes left here in season two and then however many we'll get in season three. If it is a three season plan and Apple wants more Ted Lasso, the solution is just to give a, a 24 episode third yeah. season, right? Yep. Yep. The solution is to say, give us 12. And then after they write the 12, give say, us 12 Can we and 12 more. No, give yeah. us a 12 and 12 is, give the, us way, 12 is, more, is yeah. the way we'll do it. Um, so like, could this be that this is like sort of like the big thing for Jamie this season? I think that that's not impossible. Uh, that like we kind of had like, uh, does like Jamie's story, uh, you know, mostly resolve here in this episode? Resolve is the wrong word. Um, but like, is this the climax of that story? I don't think that that's impossible. Jamie was, uh, you know, had he reached like the apex of his story, it seemed like in season one, uh, in like episode six or whatever. And then he's gone for several episodes. And then he gets like the final moment uh, in in the finale that really pushes him a little bit further down the line. Uh, so, so I think like it's not impossible. There's a lot of characters and a lot of story that they have to go through through that, like, Jamie could be potentially a little bit diminished moving forward for this season. Yeah, and I mean, if all goes well, there are going to be some key goals to be scored by Richmond, even in the context of this season still. And if that's the case, Jamie Action could be man. Yeah. directly involved, either yeah. as the goal scorer or the assister or both. There are ways that you can place Jamie's conflict at the center of that. His father could, this could be not be the end of him. He could show up in other episodes. Like, we don't know exactly where that's going to Lawsuit. go. I'm just... I'm just interested in like, what does growth look like for Jamie? And I think you put it interesting in terms of like the path of enlightenment. Like this is a guy who has managed to thread the needle on being deeper than he would seem. Um, he has a pretty good scene with Higgins in this episode that we kind of just glossed over a little bit with Higgins just being just Higgins, just being so valuable and saying, like, I try to love my father for who he is and forgive him for who he's not. Uh, and I think that it would be very interesting to see what it would take to get Jamie to that point if, if that's possible at all. And if it's even valuable, because it may not be in this particular instance, uh, I, I just don't know where we're going to end up with Jamie. Um, I say that 
that because there are I'm, I'm you know I'm looking at like you're looking at it like we're more than halfway through with the show at this point I would assume um, we're you know we're in the middle of a dark period of the show but the question is like okay so if we get out of the dark period what is looking up look like for these characters and I gotta feel like things are already looking up for Jamie and and they're trending upward generally this whole season has been trending upward even if he started from a very low point. Um, and even if he still has more work to go, uh, he's on an upward trend that I think just ends ends up with him maybe being a little bit like the new Roy Kent, right? Like being somebody who's sensitive, who's enlightened, who's considerate, who's thoughtful, who's all those things because he's been through it. Like that would be an interesting thing to see if Roy infects Jamie with the best parts of him um, as part of their relationship. So I would be interested to see uh, if if that is what plays out because. The, the Roy and Phoebe situation, of course, shows us that Roy is very influential. People do look up to him, uh, and they look up to him and they, they emulate him in many respects. And there aren't just negative character traits to emulate when it comes to, uh, Roy Kent. There are a lot of positive ones and all it takes is somebody looking for them, uh, and they will see them. So it'll be very, very interesting to see, um, if Jamie, uh, shows up in that. And I really love the scene at the school. I love that teacher. I really wish there was a way for her to be in the show more. Not that I haven't liked the, the ways that they've used her so far, but I, I like that as a character I'd like to see more of for sure. Maybe she still exists in a world where, um, that's a character that, uh, would enjoy, uh, talking to Ted. Um, uh, maybe that's somebody that he can bond with, or maybe there's somebody else, or maybe she just exists how she exists, but I'd like to see more of the character either way. Um, I think for me, the next stop unless you want to do some free kicks first would be talking about the beard of it all. Uh, Cause it certainly seems like next week we'll probably be talking about beard a lot. So it's not even that we need to spend a ton of time on him. Um, but like, it does seem like next week is going to be all beard all the time. Yeah. It's well, at least beard centric for sure. And we have talked about beard somewhat. And I think you are specifically have more of a goal with regard to beard than I, in terms of screen time, or maybe you have a better sense of this is how much be, beard is too yeah, much beard. This, is it neared? This is uh, like, you know, they're going neared. They're going to, they're going into <laughs> near to near to my heart. Uh, they're going to, they're going <laughs> to back as it may be. They're going to, <laughs> they're going to go into, uh, that territory. We're going to do a lot of beard stuff. Uh, we're going to do... Uh, the What's the name of the episode again? Beard After Hours. Oh, uh, that's what my business card says. Is oh, that is weird? Is that right? Uh, <laughs> is that coach weird? Uh, like, they're going to do... They're going to do Launchpad as a secret agent uh, when he's not on DuckTales, right? Like, they're going there. Like, they're doing it. Like, we're going to see what Launchpad is like when he's not around Scrooge McDuck and the kids. Uh, So, like, is this going to be fun or is this going to be superfluous? Dare I try and predict that it might be the episode that was extra ordered for the show? I I wouldn't dare. Uh, How dare you? How dare I? Uh, But, you know, like... uh, I don't know. I've I've been saying uh, for many episodes like how much beard I I prefer. I really <laughs> I really like a certain amount of beard, and uh, let's not go over the top. Um, they're going to give us what appears to be a beard episode. I would like to take this opportunity to uh, will positivity into the universe. I'm excited for this episode because they are doing it. 
I love Ted Lasso, and I want to see what this is all about. I love Brendan Hunt. I really loved Beard in this episode. I really loved him in the locker room. I loved him being the one who just removes Fagan from the proceedings. <laughs> you know, that he, like, is the Watch one... Watch out for the door! You know, who just, like, tosses him out and then needs to, like walk that vibe off so i love yeah. that that's the energy because like if you can carry like even if it's not supremely externalized if that is sort of like the emotional energy if that's the vibe that we are going to be following the line down on next week um i think that that's great and then the other piece of this is that the episode coming up is written by uh one of the show's uh credited creators joe kelly as well as roy kent himself brett goldstein um and brett goldstein has been responsible for some of the really great episodes of ted lasso uh so i am i'm excited about that that's a strong combo platter that we've got in terms of the actual wordsmiths behind the episode so no brendan hunt as a credited writer on that one huh he's got another job to do you know, like he's got to, he's got to be beard. Uh, yeah, so he's got to focus Sometimes being up. a beard means pretending to be something else. Uh, yeah. So there you go. So I've heard. Uh, perfectly so linked. I am, I am, uh, I am choosing excitement. I am choosing positivity. I'm choosing yes. to believe, Antonio. I'm choosing violence and I hope it's violent and I hope it's weird and I hope it's completely off track. It could and I be hope it's like nuts. there's like that episode of Barry. I don't know if you've watched. Yeah. You, I don't know <laughs> yeah. how much Barry you've seen. Uh, yeah, with the, uh, you the, and the uh, sci-fi Royal episode. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, like they go yeah. like it of totally like, you know, like could it be something like that? Like, yeah, look, that Santa, could, it very well could Santa be. exists. Is Beard going to team up with Santa? Like, this, yeah. is that what Beard after out? Like, does yes. it turn out that like Santa actually Actual is? Beard. Yes. Is he actually late on some of these yeah. Shipments that he does need Beard's help, you know. Arguably, like, with Karl Marx, the most famous Beard, Santa Claus. I do think that, like to your point, like just while we're in the in the the moment where we can, like uh, whether it's shot calling or uh, like uh, putting like wishes out there into the world, um, I do think like the move here would be like lean into like the surreality of this character and sort of like what it is that he possibly could be on like his James Bondian adventures, like. Give us something that like should not be able to exist in the Ted Lasso universe uh, that is like befitting of sort of like the unbelievable nature potentially of this character that also should you choose to accept it could be that we just drank the mushroom tea. Um, yeah. By the way, the line of like, uh, I can't believe like this is how I find out you've been drinking. Yeah, I didn't know how to tell you. Uh, yeah. is is really really funny. Everything about the beard confession was great. I love that Roy was like Port Vale match, and Beard was like, yeah, and Beard was, and Roy was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he just looked at him with eyes that said, I knew that you were completely gone in that episode yes. and, and then that, in that match, and I'm glad to know that I wasn't wrong. Yes. Uh, and, and I just don't know when that was, but it had to be in the near recent future or near recent past since Roy had joined the team. So very funny there. Yeah. I want them to lean into it. It's interesting to me. I, I want to live in a world where Brendan Hunt famously worked in Amsterdam with an improv group and an improv theater uh, for several years. I lived in Amsterdam for several years. And so you can imagine he's probably whatever experiences they put on paper, he's probably had, whether it's ending up in red light districts at four in the morning or, you know, drug trips or wherever. He ends up right in this beard episode. It's probably I, I like to live in a world where it's what Brett Goldstein and Joe Kelly assume Brendan Hunt's life in Amsterdam was like. And that's what they're writing into this episode, because he does seem a little bit like a man of mystery in that regard, having yes. lived that life. Yeah. So I am I'm interested to see exactly what happens. I also really liked that there was a little bit of a marker thrown down where Ted said, remember, you got to have the tea there at the film session bright and early tomorrow morning. Uh, so there's a world where the episode ends with Beard showing up with the tea, right? Like, and 
everybody in Ted Lasso world has no idea what Beard has just experienced, except <laughs> the viewers do. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably, I think, what happens. I don't think it means we we only have Beard, but I do think it's very likely that we only have Beard. I think there's a possibility we have other stuff in the episode, but I I do think there's there's at least a there's at least a likelihood that it is a, a very Beard dominant episode, if not only Beard throughout until the very end. Totally. Um. All right. Free kicks. Anything else you want to talk about in this episode? Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about the haircut, which was a great scene. Uh, and we didn't really talk about as much. Um, that is some of this stuff, uh, around the football match itself. Uh, as you said, you said it was played mostly for comedy. And I think that's right. Um, one of the big moments, uh, was having Mike Dean, uh, who himself has a little bit of a reputation. This is an actual referee, Josh, uh, from the English Football Association. Like this guy has a reputation as a guy who likes to get on TV, like as a guy who maybe makes certain calls or, or behaves in a certain type of way so that he gets to be part of the action and part of the drama that's occurring on the pitch. Uh, this is a reputation the guy has. So, of course, when it comes to like putting a referee moment into this episode, it's Mike Dean. Hilariously, I think very much played for comedy when Ted's like, we know you have a penis. Like, I laughed a lot about that. And Arlo's saying, oh, you don't want to cross Mike Dean. And then he walks over and says, hey, listen, you can't say that. He's so nice about it. So I thought that was really funny. It's also important, I think, that we continue to contextualize how Man City is being presented as like the villain of the show, right? Like the uh, Iceland team, if you will, from uh, the Mighty Ducks or uh, just whoever, you know, your classic sports movie villain that you want to add or the team. It's Man City. This is uh, this is in season one, of course, as Arlo points out in the commentary before the match. They're the team whose goal with Jamie Tart sends uh, AFC Richmond to relegation. Yep. Here they are again, dashing uh, AFC Richmond's through the snow. FA Cup hopes yeah. oh, through sorry, the snow I, I got the wrong in thing. a one-horse open sleigh. Yeah. Um, that is happening with Santa Beard. Uh, so they are the villains here uh, in the context of Ted Lasso. They're also an easy punching bag as villains in the Premier League itself. Um, they represent an ownership style. Um, they, their, their ownership group is linked heavily basically to money that comes from oil and that seemingly is unlimited. Uh, and the club is not run as a business in the way that many other football league or football clubs have to be run because their owners come from money. Uh, and that money is spent, uh, just really ruthlessly and without really any abandon. Uh, and so they are the enemies of the English football pyramid in a way, uh, because money in the game, uh, really just changed significantly the scope of, uh, what's at stake for so many of these places. And it really changes the way the game um, is, is just something that uh, re- reflects or reacts to society around it. Like having outside money coming in like this and just being spent with reckless abandon. Uh, it makes sense to have them be the enemies. And this is not uh, an affront to any of their coaches or players. And in, in, in particular, I really am fond of their coach in many ways, uh, but it just, it makes sense that they would be cast as the villain here, especially against a club like AFC Richmond. So, um, this is, uh, they're in the title, of course, uh, and they represent, I think, a lot on this show, uh, in terms of this, uh, this seemingly, uh, unstoppable force, uh, that has, they are the empire in many ways. Uh, and I think a lot of the characters, it's not so much about Man City, the club. Uh, it's about the concept of something like that, of something that seemingly is undefeated, that, that you really are never going to be a match up with, uh, blow for blow that you have to learn to live with, that you have to learn, uh, to defeat that otherwise it will just put you down and, and put you out five to nil. I think it was right. Uh, and. A lot of Man City touchstones are present in this episode. Blue Moon is their song. 
So uh, that's the song their fans are singing before the match. And of course, it's the song that plays, as you said, comically over the footage. Uh, one thing that is perhaps the most unrealistic CGI of the entire series uh, is seeing that many Man City supporters. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to, I had to say that as a joke. Wow. I had to say hey, that as a joke. Hey. Just a little joke. Just a little joke. Uh, but uh, doesn't that, totally uh, land with me. But I can appreciate that. That is probably a sick burn. Just a bit of banter. Uh, you would you would say though that this is the FA Cup. Of course, is played in Wembley Stadium. Uh, they they have a lot of fun with the Wembley Stadium, if at all, about how this is not the old Wembley Stadium that people associate with other big Wembley moments. Like, I, I believe, I don't think this is where uh, the Live Aid was, as it stated here. I don't think it's where uh, WWE had some big, big time events in the past. I think this is a new Wembley Stadium. Uh, and it, it, there's also the fun elements that they always do with football about just like in American baseball, just like in baseball, where the fields are all different sizes. You know, some places the fences are shorter in, some are further out. Uh, some are shorter in in certain aspects of the park. Some are further out. Uh, some parks have had hills in center field. Uh, there are just a lot of different ways you can design a baseball stadium there. Other than being a particular shape, there are a lot of different ways you can design a football pitch and Wembley notoriously uh, has the biggest one. So um, that was something that they're playing on. Yet another thing for Ted to laugh about. Uh, so that was definitely there. Uh, what are, what things did we... How about Ted's impressions? Did you enjoy Ted's voices? Uh, yes, um, obviously leaning in on just extraordinary uh, comedic performer Jason Sudeikis' yes. SNL character work, I feel like. Right, right. You got Jason Sudeikis on board. You give him the opportunity uh, to dance. You give him the opportunity to uh, do funny voices, characters, all the things that he does. This is... Uh, you know, just really, really funny. Have you been feeling dizzy or nauseous? Oh my god, like, uh, really, really good. The sling blade was really funny. Yes. Yeah, it's just it was really good. Uh and I really, really enjoyed. Uh like I think you you said it earlier. Like this is a Ted episode where he really kind of gets all his greatest hits in there, from the emotional vulnerability to the bits to uh the one liners to the jokes to all of it. Uh he also brings up classic season one villain bully. Ronnie Fouch, uh, who was somebody that in Ted Lasso's childhood, perhaps in the childhood of Jason Sudeikis, I desperately want this to be true, <laughs> uh, that this is Jason Sudeikis' childhood bully. He was mentioned in season one in uh, the episode where Ted is really talking to Roy about stepping back. And, and Ted says something like, I learned some big lessons uh, on in elementary school. One is if little Ronnie Fouch offers you a candy bar. You don't say you don't eat it. You get the hell out of there because there's a good chance he pooped in it. Yeah, it's uh, and like there's a really funny joke in in the first season, and then this season we get yet again Ted just as an aside talking to uh, Doctor Fieldstone about Ronnie Fouch serving people Vaseline sandwiches. Uh, so really funny callback. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah. That How about was- uh, Josh? I don't want to keep us too long. Do you have to go reapply your lip liner? Uh, <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> that obvious you told me before the podcast in the audio medium uh so so much just comes through i guess i don't know it's no i don't uh i I don't have a good one-liner like that i wish but i'm gonna now from here henceforth i'm just gonna say i have to reapply my lip liner. oh my god uh well no it sounds to me like you probably have to get back to pinball uh your (laughs) your high score is in jeopardy and you must uh this is your uh wizard of oz pinball machine you have to defend it Dude, I would play the hell out of a Wizard of Oz pinball machine. Like, I would absolutely play the hell out of that. Are you a big pinball I, guy? I, I kind of am a big, big pinball guy. Weirdly, for Christmas one year, I don't know how this happened. I'm sure there's a, a sitcom episode about it. But my dad showed up uh, with a gift from my brother and I, and it was a pachinko machine. And it was a used pachinko machine. I don't know if he like went on a beard like a uh, Odyssey and won this somewhere at some pachinko parlor underground in northern Kentucky or why he thought we would like it. But we loved it. Uh 
my uncles were big pinball guys and they would always buy vintage pinball machines. And recently I've been playing pinball on Switch, uh, which they have all these branded pinball games. Like they have Bob's Burgers pinball or Skyrim pinball or Fallout pinball or Star Wars pinball or whatever, like back to the future pinball. So weirdly I've been doing that. I guess I am a pinball guy. So it fits. It really does. Yeah. Uh, do you like what you like? throw the like the joysticks back and let them go forward is like that how this works with the uh, video game pinball on the nintendo switch yep that's that's uh, how, that's exactly how it works that's all yep 100 percent. throw the joystick throw the old joysticks back and just, and just let, let, it fly. It, let them fly um, let it fly yep that is what ted lasso seems to be doing next week proverbial joysticks flying as we get into beard after hours who knows what happens after dark uh you know this is not time that we should be seeing reasonably right and so we are going to get a peek behind the veil uh and um i don't know prepare to be scandalized on a friday morning uh depending on when you watch ted lasso i feel like is a a potential energy coming our way uh and i I, (laughs) you said potential energy it reminded me uh there were a couple other things that i want to hit just real quick uh one of the potential energy is there a potential Roy Kent energy in the ER doctor? Is this Roy Kent's sister? Like, we immediately go from the scene in the ER to Roy Kent in uh, Mrs. Bowen's room there saying, my sister is an ER doctor. Is there anything there? Or was this just like a red herring? Um, I think it would help explain um, why we don't see a lot of her. You know, that's yeah. a very demanding job. Uh, yeah, I mean, that definitely now. does explain it, right? Like, for sure. I just... I wonder if this particular character that we met in the emergency room is the uh, Mrs. Roy Kent, or not Mrs. Roy Kent, but Roy Kent's sister. Like, I wonder, I don't know. I don't know. I think people have been speculating about that. So I wanted to make sure we mentioned it. Speaking of things people have been speculating about, I mean, we, we have to say, as far as speculation goes, the whole team is super invested with Sam's date. They know about the haircut. That whole scene built up to it. They didn't the seem to dots. pry. They didn't seem to pry on the identity of whoever it was. We haven't seen any prying that goes on, but you could live, you can imagine a world where it is a hot topic still, even though it's already happened. Similarly, Rebecca built this up so huge. Keely calls her with a mask on, a skin mask on, and basically says, have you gone inside yet? She goes inside and Rebecca says, Sam is here. Then what does Rebecca say to Keely? Keely has to figure this out, in my opinion. She's she got to figure it out. She will know soon. She will know soon. I do think it is worth uh, uh, the, the reminder that there was that Hannah Waddingham interview uh, shortly after uh, we find out that it's Sam on the other side of the banter. Uh, that uh, episode 10 is where it popped off, was, oh, was dear. what so she that's had said, coming right? after Beard. Yeah, then, right? so we got some time to sort of just like brace ourselves for whatever is coming. That episode is called No Weddings and a Funeral. Yikes. <laughs> Someone gonna die. Huh? I don't I'm a know. little concerned. I'm not about ready that. for that. I'm not ready for that. Yeah. It's probably gonna be about Ted's father, I would imagine, yeah. like or somebody putting a metaphorical uh something like that. Uh I would hope that that's the case. Yes. But no we weddings though would allude to a uh a either a lack of romance or the calling off of romance potentially or the downplaying of romance like we're not getting married there's gonna be no wedding here you know I mean, uh so four weddings and a funeral also famous uh british rom-com right yep. so like there's the british rom-com connection of it all uh as far as that goes i mean maybe as far as the uh no weddings maybe it'll be a like a uh, like a uh, princess and a dragon type situation with roy and phoebe it'll be just be a game that's no. being played 
Uh, no, I loved how Phoebe yes, said it just that like Roy. Was That's what I wanted to get incredible. through here. That was incredible. So good. It was very, very The best good. parts of Roy really are rubbing off on Phoebe. Um, all right. We will talk about so much more Ted Lasso next week. Beard after hours coming up. Uh, so get ready for that. Um, follow us on the Twitter bots. I am at Round Howard. Uh, you know it now. Antonio at AC Mazzaro. That's ACM uh, is worth emphasizing in the AC Mazzaro, Antonio. It is A-C-M-A-Z-Z-A-R-O. That's me. Uh, and I don't have any credits. I mean, there were so many good needle drops in this episode. And like the, the Oasis connection to Man City is there as well. Huge Man City supporters. Uh, but the, there's so many good needle drops in this episode. People loved the Keen one, Josh, even though uh, it wasn't really fully like the one that popped the most for me. People love Keen. Are you keen on Keen? I Are don't you a really keen know. Guy? I don't know that I know the Keen, at yeah. least by name. I probably know them by sound. Uh, I'm embarrassed to admit I thought it was Coldplay when that song came Ooh. on because I've never been keen on keen myself. Mm. Uh, but I'm glad that people love it. That's what George Harrison did for me. So uh, the fact that there are so many and like there there are other not really long good after ones we were in this uh, uh, internally in the post recaps patron Discord singing wah wah exactly. Uh, so getting uh, <laughs> a little more George Harrison going down. I'm not going to be mad about. I know the the Rex Orange County uh, needle drop in this episode at uh, the date between Rebecca and Sam was a big one for people as well this was i mean clearly the best uh the best soundtrack work of the season for me even more so than the christmas episode so loved this uh love that and that's what i you know that's all i've got at this point um keep the conversation going with us either on twitter ted lasso at postshowrecaps.com is our feedback channel you can also sign up for the post show recaps patreon program join our discord it's a sprawling chat room service don't be intimidated it's really fun it's got a lot of great people in there you can sign up patreon.com slash post show recaps talk about ted lasso with all the people who are talking about it with us each and every week we love that conversation we appreciate that conversation we would love to uh expand that conversation so if that sounds like a fun thing for you consider signing up patreon.com slash post show recaps um antonio anything else i just i left jesus uh, out of the best beards con- conversation mm-hmm. I hope people aren't, uh, <laughs> oh my god up in arms over that one uh well you never know uh, i guess we'll find out uh again yeah. ted lasso post show recaps.com okay <laughs> take care everybody bye-bye bye Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.